welcome back to another episode of Into the Airbnb, where we talk with Airbnb hosts about their short-term rental experience. Today's guest is Andrea Whitson, based in Central Texas, who is an experienced Airbnb host and manages five listings in Texas and New Mexico. In this episode, Andrea will tell us about her experience doing short-term rentals and remote hosting. So, without further ado, let's get into it. So, can you tell us how did you get started on Airbnb? Uh, we've not been doing Airbnb all that long, but in 2018, I really wanted a beach house down on the, the uh, Texas coastline. And uh, I found a great deal on a house on Crystal Beach. And uh, it's a, a beach that's closest to Houston. That's, a, that's the closest major city. And uh, my husband agreed to make the down payment as long as I would make the monthly payment. And uh, so I'm no dummy. I didn't want to pay out of my own pocket for that payment. So uh, we made it an Airbnb. And I've never, ever had to make a payment once with my own money because it's done so well. And since then, we did, uh, we, we have that, the beach house. We added three ski town properties in New Mexico just so that we could have more, uh, we could have a summer season with the beach house. We could have a winter season with the ski properties. Okay. So, in the areas you're hosting in Texas and New Mexico, how is the seasonality like? Well, I'll put it this way on the beach house, the, uh, the bookings that we have from Memorial Day, which is mid-May or end of May, through Labor Day, which is the 1st of September, those bookings pay for the, the property's annual expenses. So that's where we make the bulk of our money. That covers all of our expenses for the year. And the same is true for, for the ski properties, and their winter season is December to March. And again, that pays for the rest of the year's expenses for those properties. And that gives us income as well. But we, we always try to, to pay for the properties um, with the seasonality and then anything else's property. I, I'm sorry, is that profit. Mm -hmm. I understand. So in the high season versus low season, how is your average occupancy rate like in both of those um, places? Well, I, I don't so much look at it that way because our ski properties we acquired Uh, in September of 2020, so we don't have a long history. Um, what I would say is all of our properties together, and we just we just added another one, the urban area uh, right outside of Austin. It's our first non-tourist location uh, home that we added. So that's the fifth, actually the fifth house. Uh, so we average right now 67% av uh, occupancy across all properties year-round. I see, I see. And um, do you uh, remote host the one in New, the, the ones in New Mexico? Yes, yep. And even the beach house, we do that remotely because it's a five-hour drive from us. Uh, so we, we do all of those remote and have teams in place in those uh, tourist locations. Oh, so four of them are remote hosted? Yes. Oh, okay, great. And can you tell us about your experience with remote hosting? Uh, it's actually 
we, you know, we've done it from the beginning because we didn't open with a house that was near us. We now have one um, and it's much easier with it near you. The remote hosting though, as long as you have a cleaner and a handyman and you have very, very good systems, very good record keeping, uh, the remote hosting is very simple. There's, there are so many tools and resources available in terms of applications to help you uh, with your communications, to help you with your pricing, to help uh, with all of your bookings. So the remote management to me is just part of part of how it is, and we've we've been able to work it very well. Good. And how did you manage to get a good team to help you in your listings? Uh, a lot of it is really asking around. One one thing that we discovered, in, and and I don't know if it's re, if it's small towns. It's probably best if it's small towns. But our properties, um, aside from the one in the Austin area, they're in small towns, and so almost all of these towns have a Facebook page where uh, residents will talk, where they share information and share plumbers and painters and things like that. So we always look for that. And that gives us a great way to find someone in an emergency and also find out who other people use. A lot of times it's hosts, other hosts, but it could be residents as well. So we typically get our um, our cleaners that way. Now we've been through a couple of cleaners uh, in, in the beach house property And uh, mm -hmm. we just start asking around and finding out uh, who does cleaning and who is uh, able to. One thing that we find really critical is that we be able to book them uh, digitally. So when a booking comes in, they get noticed right away. What we don't want to do is be having to send texts and emails and calling them to give them our schedule. Um, but we, we haven't had any problems finding cleaners. Uh, but we have, we've definitely had problems maintaining the right level of cleanliness with our cleaners. Mm -hmm. And I think, I, I, I assume uh, now in my Austin property, I've not had that issue, but it hasn't been online all that, all that long. We went live in uh, December. So uh, the cleaners, I think part of it is really trying to get the best real relationship you can get with them, get to know them personally. We, at Christmas, we send gifts, you know, they're, they're our friends, they're our partners. Um, and so right now our cleaner uh, in the, the coast area, they've really begun to partner with us and really treat it like it's their income as well. It, and it is literally, uh, but still the day-to-day -day, uh, people who are cleaning the house That's really where you can run into problems because if they have a lot of back-to-back -back bookings, they're tired, they're, um, you know, the season is, is really busy. Uh, mm -hmm. when, when they start failing, that's when things get really rocky. So uh, it's really important on the cleaners to have someone who has a team of cleaners versus one person cleaning everything. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. And about the um, area, the areas you're hosting, sorry, um, how is your average occupancy rate like in the high seasons versus the low seasons? Um, I, I, the, I'm trying to think. Like I said, the, the majority in, in the high season, 
were probably mm-hmm. 90%. Um, now, what I will say is we use Airbnb only. We do not uh, book through VRBO. And we've just had some bad experiences. So that does limit, you know, how the occupancy, poten- you know, potentially that limits it. Um, the other mm-hmm. thing is in our properties, we uh, we try to make sure it's a reasonable amount of people in the house. We don't try to get in every every bed that you could possibly get in there to increase occupancy and and the daily rate. Um, but we are we are occupied enough so that we have bookings that pay for the rest of the year. I'll say that. Sounds good. Sounds good. And throughout the year. What is your pricing strategy? Well, uh, we have actually just moved to uh, dynamic pricing through Price Labs. So we began that in the fall of last year. So what the difference is so far, right? We don't we don't have a lot of history to really look at it. But what we're finding is the occupancy is less, but the daily rate is much more. So we're actually making more money and having less wear and tear on the house, um, we're definitely getting to a point where we'll have to decide, okay, now that we're making the money we wanted to make, um, and we could choose to increase the occupancy, there's some value-add things we could do um, to bring up the occupancy. But I will say that once we went to that dynamic pricing, it really changed the game instead of us trying to uh, manually do that, which we had done for a couple of years. I understand. So you would recommend people to use like a dynamic pricing solution instead of pricing by yourself? Yes. Okay. Yep. It's yes. Not only not only is it easier, there's just things that, that they're aware of that depending on how many properties you have, you may not know about local events that drive high occupancy. And that is all a part of the dynamic pricing where there's There's visibility to that and the trends in people booking. So again, uh, depending on how many properties you have, that gets really hard to keep up with. So the dynamic pricing certainly is a much easier way to go. And the added bonus to the dynamic pricing actually is we're not questioning it if our house is worth that much or not. We're, we're seeing what other people are charging. We're seeing what the rates are and the, mm-hmm. it's supporting the rates. So we don't have a skewed view then about what the house might rent for. So it sort of take, depersonalized it, which has helped us make more money. Okay, good to hear about your experience with that. And can you tell us in these uh, years being an Airbnb host, What have been your top challenges while running Airbnb? You know, the only, what I'll say is every unit, when we first take it online, every unit is bumpy. And I can't tell you why it's not one thing, it's several things. So for about two months, usually we uh, we keep our prices, uh, you know, low to get people in there. And we use that as a testing ground to find out what, what needs to be fixed, what needs, to, what is not working for guests. So I would say always anticipate, at least in our experience, that it's going to be bumpy the first one or two months. After that, every time it smooths out and, and then we have almost no problem. Um, the ongoing challenge, I, I'll go back to the cleaning. 
I can overcome most everything else, but what I can't overcome easily is a cleaner who um, I, I had one time where a cleaner, I don't know if her child got sick or something, but she left the cleaning job right in the middle of it and didn't tell anyone. So the guest shows up and the mop and the, you know, the bucket and all of that is out there. So again, I'm looking more for cleaning companies at this point. Um, but I think cleaning will still be a challenge because no one's going to clean it. And it's not only cleaning it, but it's also staging it for Airbnb, for the guests. So I find that very challenging. Oh, so um, right now, how are you dealing with the cleaning problem? Well, how did I, you uh, get your, sorry? I, take, Continue, I, take, I actually take pictures of everything how I want it. And I usually, uh, April is a good month when both of our markets are pretty dead. And uh, so we try to get down to those units, you know, refresh things. I take pictures of all of the rooms, how I want them to look. I take pictures of my supply closet, how I want them to keep the supply closet inventory and all of that. So I'm, I'm putting systems in place that help them make it, it it's easier for them to let me know what's going on. But I still find there just aren't things, they just don't look at it with the same eyes as a host and owner does. Um, so I, I think really that will continue to be a challenge. Yeah, I understand completely. And I agree with that. So um, any tips that you'd like to share for other MEV hosts or future Airbnb hosts? Um, what what I would say is I might be a little bit different uh, host than the norm. Uh, I turned 60 years old last year, so I'm getting to a retirement age. And I uh, my my personal strategy is to replace my corporate income before I retire. So within the next couple of years, I want to 100% replace my corporate income with Airbnb income, so that I can have the lifestyle I want without having to work you know the same amount of hours. Um, mm -hmm. And with that in mind, where we have bought property, we have been very strategic in that because we choose places where we want to visit during retirement. We can go to Brazil for three months. We can go to New Mexico for three months. We can go to the beach house for three months. We can go to the, the Austin house for three months. So we're very strategic in how we choose where we have our properties. And uh, we'll end up selling our, our big primary house, and then we'll just travel to the places we love, but it'll all be a business expense. So we're trying to turn everything into a business expense. Um, and then in terms of my exit strategy, and I think you need a, I think you need to know what your strategy is. My exit strategy is to pass away, and then our children will inherit all of the property, and they can either sell it or continue running um, a short-term rental business if that's still a thing at that point. And I always tell them that the way that I look at, at short-term rentals or any rental real estate really is I stop and I tell myself someone I don't even know is buying me a house to give to my kids. And so that is the perspective that keeps me um, wanting to do better and knowing that it's pretty amazing that I have homes and I'm not making payments myself. So that drives me. That I'm very passionate about that. Oh, that's really sweet. Thanks for sharing that with us. Sure. So 
That would be it for today. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Julia. I appreciate the, the opportunity. Thanks for listening to Into the Airbnb. We're looking for hosts and other people in the short-term rental industry to interview. If you have what we need and would like to share your experience in this podcast, please send us an email. All the info is at the end of the description.